0: Good morning, everybody. You know, It's interesting standing out there watching cars come in. Compared to what we were before this thing started, there's still not many, but man, it feels full for the last six months. It is so good to see you here this morning. Welcome home. For those of you watching online, being smart, doing what you need to do, we want to welcome you too, and we're going to keep talking to you because we want you involved. We want to do our job and feed you and encourage you. Uh, for those of you who are back for the first time in uh, six months, there's some new stuff going on around here, like these projectors are all new. Uh, these are, these aren't these don't have bulbs in them, they're lasers, I don't know what that means, but uh, we upgraded those, and uh, because the side ones, if you remember, are kind of fading, you're sitting in new chairs. Yes, yes, hopefully your tushy is comfortable, that matters, they're all brand new, I know the word tushy isn't something you usually hear from the pulpit, but... Uh, Anyway, uh, and let's see what else we got new. We have new rooms. Our annex is done. So our, our next door, and when you left, we were just starting that project. Our bathrooms are new. Before they were done, we had closed. Uh, we, uh, actually, just before they were done, we had to close down for COVID. So those are new. Let's see what else is new. Uh, oh, ladies and ma- uh, ladies, if you have a nursing infant, we have a women and children's room down this hall. If you keep walking past where you go to the restrooms, go past the next door on the left, the first door on the left, that is a nursing room, and there's a TV in there with three rockers. Men, you're not allowed to sleep in there. But this is for ladies. Uh, If you have an infant that needs to be fed or they're just a little squirrely, you can go in there and watch the service. We've moved our uh, overflow room or our parent room from what was uh, the overflow room into the library. So we cleared out the middle and there's chairs and there's a table. And if you have, listen, how do I say this? The decorum of church is over. If you bring your kid and they get rowdy, if you need to get up 10 times and take them out and take a walk, if they want to lay on the floor and draw, not on the carpet, but if they want to lay on the floor and draw or sleep, they may. This is our living room. And the only person that cares that your kid is squirrely is you. So listen, we are here in this together and uh, in, in uh, October the 4th, which is the first Sunday in October, we will begin our preschool ministry during the worship service. That'll be zero through four-year-olds. Uh, but until then, you just bring your kids in here, and if you need to get up and, and move around, uh, you, you do that. Um, as long as you don't stand next to me, that would be weird. But um, I'm trying to think if I've told you everything that... Uh, Anyway, that's just it. We're glad to have you home. And those of you who are watching online, we hope you'll feel comfortable in the coming weeks to come. I've heard from a lot of you who take care of parents or who are, uh, have um, immune systems that are at high risk. We totally understand. And so we are not uh, moving away at all from our digital campuses. That's what we call them. Your home is a digital campus. And if you need to continue watching online, we want to encourage you to do that. We did a, a video this week, Jeff and Alicia and I, and we, we will let you know that our goal is to open up to 100% uh, by in the next four months, by January. So that's our goal, to get back to Wednesday night's first of the year, all of the children's ministries. We are going slow intentionally because we don't want to start and stop. We just want to be wise. And so uh, we're awfully glad that you are back here and that you're watching online. Um, some things that aren't going to change for probably a long time is going to be the way we do communion. Uh, as you walk in uh, on communion Sundays like last week, we'll have little cups and we call them communion snack packs. They're one little thing and they have a little a little wafer in there and they have bad-tasting grape juice. And uh, so we won't be passing plates. And that includes offering. This is usually the time that we stand up and greet each other. Uh, if you want to wave at the person around you, that's fine. Um, but uh, just... Uh, uh, so Also, we won't be doing an offering the, the old school way, but when you come in, there are two offering boxes that you can drop your, your uh, giving in, or you can give online. Uh, you can do it through texting. You can do it through the website. Uh, you, people are dropping it off during the week. Um, but one of the neat things that's been so amazing over the last six months is your giving. You have been so faithful with your giving. We've been able to take the monies, the mission investment team, has taken the monies that we normally spend on short-term missions, and we have sent that to our missionaries because they have COVID issues as well, and they're feeding their people, and they're feeding the people in their community and reaching out in new ways, and they're discussing right now how to spend, how to send another, uh, another. Uh, I want to say over $20,000 to our missionaries for them to support them and encourage them. That's because you're giving regularly. Don't stop. You don't just give for this. You're giving for that as well. Um, There are two things that are going on right now, uh, construction-wise, that I wanna make you aware of, and then we're done. Uh, Number one is we are about to turn the, uh, oh, what was the overflow room, we're gonna turn that into an enclosed storage facility, and that construction is still being done. We're putting in, down uh, this hallway, we're putting in a special classroom For kids who have special needs or special sensory, we're very excited about that ministry. If you have any questions, you can talk to Alicia about that. Uh, And the other thing um, we're about to do is this building, when it was built, the outside of the building was never sealed for moisture. And we are about to have it all starting the end of this week. We're going to have this whole building redone for moisture sealing. And some of you have known that sometimes there's a musty smell down the hall, and that will... That should solve that, but we're very excited about that. And, and the most exciting thing is because, again, your faithful giving, it's all being done for cash. We, will be, we are debt-free. We want to remain debt-free. And uh, our desire... Our desire is that, that all the money we bring in goes in towards ministry. That's why we don't want to take on debt. It, it, you know, it's, I'm not, it's not a statement on churches that do that, but it is a statement on our family. For those of you who are visiting with us, Carpenter's Way is a focus, missions-focused church. Whether it's in Angelina County or in Africa or in India, our goal is to share the gospel so we can go home. Uh, scripture tells us that when the gospel has gone to every, every nation and people group, the Lord will come to get us and we're ready. We, we are tired of all that's going on and we're looking forward to going home. Uh, anyway, that's all I want to say about that, which was a lot. We're doing a new study this morning. Believe it or not, after 16 years studying the life of Jesus, we're we're starting a new su- series this morning called The Body. It is a look at the, at the church, the early church from the book of Acts. And so we're glad to have you here and we hope you'll stick with us in our study, whether it's online or in this room. But welcome home, you guys. It's so good to have you here. Let's uh, Let's pray, let's focus back on the Lord, and uh, we'll turn it over to worship and study of the Word. Thank you for being here. And by the way, we've talked to the preacher, and while child care is not happening, he has promised to keep the messages shorter. Your faith is weak, Padawan learners. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we love you, and we're thankful that we can gather again, in the energy in this place, and seeing faces, Lord, we've missed each other, we just, Lord, we can do the preaching and the singing online, but we can't do that, that mojo of family, and I thank you for that, that's in this room this morning, and for those online, I pray they would experience the fellowship of the family, uh, even in their homes, and know that they're loved and not forgotten, and thank you for all that you are allowing us to do, uh, even when we're not in Africa, even when we're not in Madagascar, that we could be involved in the, in the spreading of the gospel, And I pray, Father, that we as a church would continue to be committed to that and and the study of your word and worship. And now, Lord, as we turn our our eyes and our thoughts away from ministry and programming, may we hear from you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.
1: Amen. All Right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see your faces. It was odd like when the the countdown timer's going and I can like hear people talking. It's like what is that? What is that noise? What is going on? Oh, it's people. It's it's good. It's good to see your faces. Uh, so we were talking about coming back, uh, opening the church back up, and I told Mark, I called him, I was like, you know, it feels kind of like a, uh, a vintage Sunday that we're actually going back to doing how we used to do church way back in the day. And so you probably noticed from the first song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, uh, something in the early 2000s, late 90s. That's what we're going to do today. So just some kind of fun stuff. I thought about not even putting the words up on the screen because you guys know them so well. But uh, yeah, just some old school songs, some stuff that we all have sang a million times, thousand times. If you're under 20, these will be new songs for you. So enjoy them. If you're over 20, then you've probably sang these a lot. So anyway, uh, Forever. First one.
2: Thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For he is good, he is above all things. Love forever, sing praise.
1: Have to stand for this one. It's just—it's a rule. You have to say it. Sorry.
2: My Jesus, my Savior. I to the
1: much He loved us by sending His one and only Son into the world so that we might have eternal life through Him. This is real love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins.
2: Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes, let me see beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope of a life spent with you. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow. To say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worry, all together wonder for to never know how much it costs to see my sin sin upon The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice.
0: You know, you can can online, you can get preaching, and online, you can listen to the songs and look at them, but man, is it awesome to hear each other sing? There is so much division in the world, and even in the church, over the pandemic, over the government, but man, there is one thing that we all agree on, and that is how great our God is, and uh, to hear everybody singing together, wow. I'd close up, but i got something to talk about, so you're going to have to put up with that. Man, that's cool. Uh, The New Testament book that has become known as the Acts of the Apostles is the first recorded intentional volume of church history, and actually, I might add, the only inspired one. The ironic part of this human-given title of the Acts of the Apostles is that it really doesn't have many of the apostles in it. In fact, while it talks quite a bit about Peter and Paul— John is mildly mentioned uh, only three times, and the only other apostle actually mentioned by name is is James, and that is only when um, he is about to be executed by Herod. A better title, uh, Mark's title, in the version of the Bible that I'm about to produce, never, but uh, a better title, in my humble opinion, would be The Acts of the Holy Spirit Through Silly People because that's really, really what acts is. It's, It's about what God through his spirit, can do through fallen, foolish, overly self-confident people who just happen to be his kids that he adopted into his family. Without the book of Acts, we wouldn't have much context for what is going on during the times of the epistles or the church letters that Peter and John and Paul write. We wouldn't know what was going on in those times. And then we'd be at a significant disadvantage to understanding them. As I have said many, many times, and we have agreed on as a church, context is extremely important when it comes to properly understanding and applying Scripture. Without context, bad doctrine from all kinds of legalisms to strange experiential doctrines are birthed. It is incumbent upon each of us who claim the Bible is final authority for truth that we contextually understand the scriptures so that uh, we and those we disciple are protected from the lies and deceit of the evil one who doesn't avoid the words of God but just misuses them since the Garden of Eden. I want to remind you that Satan's first work uh, in, uh, against God among his most precious creation was misusing the very words of God. He told Eve, God knows that if you eat of this tree, you're not going to really die today. You'll be like him with your eyes open, knowing good and evil. And that was true. It was just he made the curse look like an advantage. He uses God's word to conceive. So it's incredibly important that we understand Scripture within its context. Together, as we walk through this book over the coming months, we're going to see the first models of discipling, we're going to see the first steps of building and organizing the church on earth. And you're going to hear me say that a lot, the church on earth, because the church isn't this, it's this. Right now, the church is meeting all over Angelina County, from, from what was First Assembly Timber Creek, to Clawson to uh, Harmony Hill, to Southside. Churches that believe in salvation through faith in Christ alone are gathering right now as the body of Christ, the church universal. We are a local church, and you are going to see the local church developed throughout the book of Acts. Without context, as I said, bad doctrine happens, and it's important that we work hard to understand. This study, for those of you who have been with us for a while, Uh, is going to be our New Testament version of out of stained glass. In other words, while over the last year and a half, we have been obsessing over how Jesus defines himself in Scripture and how the eyewitnesses uh, spoke of Jesus, the things that he taught, the things that he did, this is going to be a look at those God inhabited with the Holy Spirit and used in all of their messiness. I remember when we went through the out of stained glass series in the Old Testament and we looked at Abraham And you saw for the first time just how wicked that guy was. He was afraid that he was going to die, so he gives his wife to the king to become her wife on two different occasions so that they will leave him alone. It is incredible just how sinful, selfish, and silly God's followers can be. You're going to see in this study how similar the struggles and celebrations are within the early church that we have, our struggles and celebrations. And it's my hope that as we take an honest look at the men and women that God used in this book, that we will together see how different their lives became the moment the Holy Spirit took over and they ceded control to Him. And I hope that in this weird time of history that you will find this greatly encouraging. Because no matter what you think, or your flesh tells you, or culture tells you, it's really no different and no harder today than it's ever been for the body of Christ. It has always been difficult. Satan has always been distracting. The world has always been hateful. And we have always been asked to live above it. Let's pray. Let's commit this to the Lord. And we'll jump right into Acts chapter 1. Father, I thank you for your book, Lord Jesus, made up of 66 books written by over 44 different authors over 1,400 years that tell us about Jesus Christ and what he can do and his Holy Spirit can and will do through people that are surrendered. And, Lord, this is a very natural progression of our study of Jesus. And, and Lord, uh, what, why we're still here, that is a common question among believers. Why are we still here if heaven is our home? And this book answers that. So I pray, Father, that we would have ears to hear what your Spirit says. I pray that the words of Mark would fade away so that the words of God would endure forever. And I pray that we would be forever changed by this. I pray for our families in this room, Lord, <clears throat> even our children, that they would observe their moms and dads worshiping, that moms and dads would not be concerned about the squirminess of their kids, and that we would see this as our living room, a place where we study the scriptures together, and we are in this together. May you be glorified in our time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 begins with, In my first book I told you, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Acts is the second volume of a two-volume historical book series written by Dr. Luke, who is not a disciple but a strong Gentile, probably a Gentile, who is a strong follower of Jesus Christ. In Luke's first volume, we know as the Gospel of Luke, he writes about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. I'd like you to look with me at Luke chapter one verses 1 to 4, and where Luke explains what he's about to do in his gospel. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have fulfilled been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from early, early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. So the first volume of this historical two-volume series on the life of the church, on the life of Christ, is about Christ himself. It's the Gospel of Luke, and it's a history on accurate accounting for the life and ministry of Jesus. His second volume is the Book of Acts, a history of the spreading of the gospel and the birth of the church on the earth. This is a great place right now for me to set a warning before you. Because when it comes to understanding and interpreting and especially applying scriptures, especially this book, it is important that we understand the type of writing it is, the type of literature. Because this is a historical book, the book of Acts, the book of Luke, and it, it is to be understood differently than a doctrinal letter by Paul or John or Peter in the New Testament. Those are doctrinal books. They teach you doctrine. But the book of Acts is a historical book. To apply a historical document, you have to be incredibly cautious because just because something happens in one person's life in the past doesn't mean that God will or has to do it again in the future. This is a personal relationship with a living, personal God that we have. He's not a monolith. He's not a block. He's not a book. He is not not a mathematical equation. If you do this and this, this will happen. He's personal. And he's got a plan personally for you and the people around you and the world in which we live. And therefore, he will in fact deal differently with different people at different times and in different ways for the sole purpose of accomplishing the task that he has had forever. To apply a historical book like Acts, to treat it as doctrine, it means that, well, that's what puts us into positions where we start throwing rattlesnakes at each other. Or experiential supernatural things must happen because it happened in Acts. To say that this is a doctrinal book, there are many historical books in the scriptures 1st and 2 Kings, 1st and 2 Chronicles, the book of Jonah, for instance. If you apply everything in every verse to your life, it would be reasonable then to say that if you're going to do evangelistic work, the best way to arrive at the shoreline of the place you're going to do ministry is by a big fish. You would have to make that case, and nobody would do that. That's ridiculous. So how do we interpret the Scripture? With wisdom, with understanding, with reasonableness. And that is why the book of Acts has so messed up so much doctrine of the church, because we have not taken it within its context. So here's the warning. We should not think that because Paul or the New Testament church in Acts or anyone within the Scriptures experiences something that we should as well. And I'm even talking about Ananias and Sapphira. For those of you who know what happens to them, this is a couple that sells a piece of property and promises to give the percentage of it to the church, and they lie to the church about how much they give, and they drop dead. There's a lot of people that lie to the church and don't drop dead. Just because it happened to them doesn't mean it's going to happen to you. And it is important as we move through this book because, yes, we're going to tackle things. In this book, I'm going to do it a little different than we did the Gospels, uh, the story of Jesus, who is Jesus. Uh, we're going to take opportunities, and next week is going to be one of those, to branch off and talk about, talk about the similarities of what they're dealing with in us. Next week, um, well, next week is going to be one of those. I'm going to take a verse I actually go through today, and we're going to have a real practical conversation on how are we supposed to live in times like this. These are very weird days no doubt about it, but I want to remind you that your grandparents lived through weird days through World War II, and their grandparents lived through weird days in World War I. I mean, it's always been weird, and if you go back, some of your grandparents actually left very comfortable lives to come to Texas to start a new life. Every season of crops or every time they had cattle, they were counting on those things living. They lived in fear or trust, and while our fears may be based on different things nothing's changed nothing's changed and the hope that these people had we too can have so we're going to be branching off sometime and taking a week and uh, and talking about practicality so i figure it'll take us about 2 years to get through the book but it'll be a good study and very very practical to you so back to chat back to acts chapter 1 verses 1 to 5 in my First book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions to the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive as opposed to being a ghost. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Luke wants Theophilus, whoever he is, and we really don't know much about Theophilus. Actually, I want to say we don't know anything about Theophilus except that he's a Greek. We know that he is a a Greek who is in a high position in Roman leadership. Uh, There are two different thoughts about Theophilus. One is that Luke is trying to evangelize this guy, or the second is that the church is coming under a lot of pressure, or Romans' leadership is coming under an enormous amount of pressure, to actually get rid of the followers of Jesus that are now called little Christs. And, and, and what Luke is doing is trying to defend the church and protect them by helping the Roman leadership understand that this is not some radical cult, revolutionary group, but they actually have a historical context for where they are to this day. So whatever reason Luke is writing Theophilus, this is an accurate account of the church after an accurate account of the light of Christ. And Luke wants Theophilus to know what Jesus told them. Verse 4, once, when he was eating with these chosen apostles, he commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. So here's what he's talking about, verse 5. John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, you have to try, when you go through a historical document, to put yourselves in the shoes of those that are being written to For instance, you know about the Holy Spirit. Actually, I'd like to say we don't know enough about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't talked about in most churches except if you're in a Pentecostal or charismatic church. He's the worship leader. If you're in a Baptist church or conservative church, he's usually the only one that convicts you of sin. But I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is here for a whole lot more than those two things. And it is important that we understand that, and we will understand that especially as we get through this today. But to these people, they had no idea what he was talking about. He had referred to the Holy Spirit coming. Uh, he, He was referred to as the gift. But they're just like, yeah, whatever. Jesus is leaving, whatever. Luke wants Theophilus to have the context of the things that he has certainly heard has taken place in Jerusalem, especially a few years back when he heard that during a Jewish festival called Pentecost, thousands of people became followers of this Jesus guy who was supposedly dead and now resurrected. And Luke wants him to understand how that happened. Jesus tells the disciples that I'm leaving, and I want you to go and stay in Jerusalem, because in Jerusalem I'm going to send the gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, while they didn't wrap their minds around it, Jesus had already taught them what the Holy Spirit would do in their lives. For instance, in John 14, this is the largest text of Scripture that Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit, Teaching the disciples what to expect. This is before his death. This is before his burial. This is actually in the upper room at the Last Supper. The disciples are freaked out because Jesus just told them he's going to leave them. They have no idea what's going on. Uh, uh, Judas has left the room and Jesus says this Don't let your hearts be troubled. Question Whenever Jesus says, Don't let your heart be troubled, why does he say that? Because they're troubled. The disciples are upset. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. And trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything's ready, I'll come and get you, so that you will always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way to there? Jesus told him, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one can come to my Father except through me. And I just, I just want to side note this. That verse we use for the lost, Jesus is saying that to the found. When they're freaked out, just follow me. You understand, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's such a big verse in our minds, and it's so powerful. And yes, it is. It's all those things. But I want you to understand the context in which Jesus says that is, you just keep your eyes on the back of my head. I got this. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. In other words, just keep following me. No one can come to the Father except through me, he said. If you had already and really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and you've seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. What does that sound like, a follower of Jesus? If you'll just do this one thing for me. You've never prayed that, have you? There's a small rumble of about eight of you and the rest of you are lying Lord, I'm not going to ask for anything ever again. If you will just do this one simple thing. And that's what he said. If you'll just show us the Father, we'll be satisfied. Jesus replied in verse 9. Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Wow. Any question on Jesus and the Trinity here? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I speak aren't my own, but my Father who lives in me does this work through me. Just believe that I I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe this because of the work you've seen me do. I tell you the truth. Okay, now we're getting into the Holy Spirit. So they're having this intense conversation, and now Jesus is going to talk to them. I tell you the truth. This is in the upper room, last supper, hours before his arrest. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, actually even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I'll do it so so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. We'll be talking about that through Acts, especially the first five or six chapters that are terribly interpreted and applied to this day. It will all make sense if you stick with us in this study. And I am not going to stand up here and tell you that God does not do supernatural things. I am going to stand up here and tell you that God does supernatural things within their context. He is not the grandfather in the sky. He is not Santa Claus. He is not your great uncle. He is not the one who makes all your dreams come true. He is the one who makes his own dreams come true. And when, as we surrender our life to him, the desires of our hearts become his desires, and we can trust him. More on that in the coming weeks. Verse 14. I've got to find it. Here we go. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I'll do it. Jesus, promise, uh, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, if you love me, Obey my commands, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Okay, we're about to go into a section of Scripture that theologically some of you may doze off. But listen to his words. This gift, the advocate, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives in, uh, with you now and later will be in you. Think about that. He's around you right now, omnipresent, but he is soon going to be inside of you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me, and remember my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I am telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends this advocate, Holy Spirit, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I've told you. I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And peace I give is uh, is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I'm going away, but I'll come back to you again. This statement that Jesus makes to the disciples on the night of his arrest is exactly the message for you and I today. Don't worry, I'm coming back to get you. Don't be troubled, it's going to get weird, but I've given you the Holy Spirit who's going to guide you, direct you, comfort you, give you peace, uh, work in your life. He's going to remind you of things that you've studied from the Scriptures, He's going to teach you things about me. That is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit does not just conduct worship. The Holy Spirit does not just get you saved. The Holy Spirit is the one who sustains. The very power of the resurrection is at work within us. And that's what we see on Pentecost. What we see on Pentecost is not your opportunity to speak in tongues, but the opportunity to be under the control of God himself in the third person of the Trinity, coming inside, guiding, directing, empowering, and protecting. You see, that's why the book of Acts should probably have been titled, and by the way, The Acts of the Apostles is a human-given title, not a God-given title. So if some human can title it, I can retitle it. It's actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit through people. That's what it is. And I'm going to go ahead and preach the last Sunday's message right now, real quick in a nutshell. On our last Sunday of this study of Acts, I want you to know that I'm going to show you that this book doesn't have an end. Every book of the Bible has a, a rightful end. It has some sort of conclusion except for the book of Acts. You know why? Because the book of Acts is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers, and it hasn't ended. It hasn't ended. It's still going on. In fact, if it was still being written, there would be a book called Angelina County, the body of Christ in Angelina. It would talk about Carpenter's Way, a local church, or First Baptist of Celtics. Because the body of Christ is not a religious group. It is an adopted group of children who do the work of God. Back to our text. In Acts 1-6, their answer. Now, now remember, here we go. So these apostles, these disciples, most of them have been with him three and a half years, right? Most of them have seen him die. They've seen him resurrect. And at least the 12 plus 500 others have seen him alive and resurrected on one occasion. And many of them have seen him on three occasions. So they have seen him resurrected. And not just resurrected, but they've seen him eat Some of them have touched him, so they know he's alive. And Jesus told them, here's my instructions for you. I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait there because I'm going to send you a gift. And here is their response to all that. Acts 1-6. They kept asking. So remember, over and over. No matter what he said in that 40-day period, this was their next question. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Are we dumb or what? You would think, after seeing Jesus die, resurrect, walk through walls, eat with you, cook breakfast, spend time with you for 40 days, tell you that he's got a plan, tell you over and over that he's not leaving, see him raise the dead, make the sick well, you would think that they would go, we get it, we get it, we're not going to ask any more questions. What do you want us to do? Well, he already told them what he wanted them to do. I want you to go to Jerusalem. In fact, in a moment, I'm going to point out that what we like to call the Great Commission wasn't a commission at all. The commission to the disciples was what? What was the command? Go to Jerusalem. That's the Great Commission. It wasn't go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. That wasn't a command. That was a forthtelling This is what you're going to do. His command, his commission, was get your, your fannies, your little tiny fannies, to Jerusalem and wait for the gift. Fanny is not a biblical word either. But get, get your rear ends to Jerusalem and just wait. You don't even have to do anything. Just hang out, and I'm going to send a gift. But their question that they asked over and over again is the same question people today are asking because the world is unnerving them. Is it time for your return? To which Jesus answered in verse 7, the Father alone has the authority to set these dates and times. They're not for you to know. Would somebody translate that for me in a better earthly East Texas sense? Nanya. That's exactly right. It looks pretty in the Bible, but that is exactly what it says. None your business. Stay in your lane. This is not for you to know. That's my father's business. It's not for you to know. But, verse 8, this is the very next thing. This is one thing after another. So they say, Now is the time, Jesus? Is it now? And he says, It's not for you to know. It's only for my father's to know. You mind your own business. But, here's what you do need to know that you will receive power. When the Holy, dunamis, it's the word dynamite comes from that, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. While knowing when the kingdom will come to earth is not your business, boys and girls, and that's what he's saying, there's more than just the 12 here, or 11. I'll tell you what is your business. Your business is to go to Jerusalem and wait, because I'm going to empower you with a, with, with, uh, with the Holy Spirit, and he's going to come upon you, and then as a result of that, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Another question, and I know we're interacting here today, but another question for you. Tell me, as you think about Acts and what you know, how did, the Jew, how did these believers, these followers of Jesus, end up in Judea when they're all huddling in Jerusalem? Running from what? Yes, persecution. Persecution. I want you to think about this. What We call the Great Commission, and I've already said it. We think it's the commission. The commission was go to Jerusalem. It's a foretelling. It's prophecy. It's telling them what's going to happen in their lives, that you're going to end up in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. One of the things that you're going to learn in Acts, and by the way, this is the outline of the book of Acts, and I'll show you that in a moment. But I want you to understand that how they ended up in Jerusalem is because Jesus told them to go and wait there. Then the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they start reaching people, and thousands get saved, and they're making disciples. And it says that persecution rose up in Jerusalem so much that everybody, including many of the apostles, ran for their lives. And where did they run? To Judea. Well, guess what? The persecutors followed them there. So while they were there, they were still witnessing to the truth of Jesus Christ. People were being saved. People were being discipled. Then they also had to run for their lives. You know why they ran to Samaria? Because a good Jew wouldn't go there. That's how they ended up in Samaria, because they knew that their Jewish persecutors wouldn't ever defile themselves by chasing them in Samaria. Now put some context to the Great Commission. You see, while we're sitting around going, God, please save us. God, make life easy. And I get it. I pray those prayers too. Keep us healthy. Keep us, help our country. Help this person win the election. It'll be better for us as churches. While we pray for all those things, I want you to understand that that wasn't even the prayer of the disciples. God uses difficulty to make his uh, task accomplished. And when he told them, go to Jerusalem, which was the commission, I've said it three times now, the command, go to Jerusalem. And from there, I'm going to give you a gift the Holy Spirit, and, and, and after He comes, He's going to empower you, and then you're going to be my witnesses in Ju- Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. All of that is the result of what God knows is going to happen. And He doesn't protect them. He empowers them. It is possible, if history is an example, that God uses difficulty in order to accomplish His worldwide purposes. And that's a good thing. But only if we're committed more to Him than ourselves. And that's what's remarkable about God using us. We are a selfish, fallen people. But we are inhabited by the third person of the Trinity. And that's what Acts is. Acts isn't a book where you evaluate yourself and say, why aren't I healing people? Or why haven't I raised the dead? Or why don't I speak in tongues? Acts is a book that you, you walk away from and you go, imagine what we can do if we surrender to the Holy Spirit. If tongues is the ultimate experience in your spiritual life, your standards are too low. God could use you ways. He told the disciples that they would do better things, better, bigger things than he ever did. And you read that and you kind of go, wow, what are they going to do, make rocks turn into people? That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is Peter on the first day of Pentecost led 5,000 people to Jesus. Jesus Christ never led 5,000 people to himself. He ran 5,000 people off. But people would come to God in droves to the witness of these Spirit-filled men and women. And that's what this letter's about. The outline of the historical book of Acts is Acts 1-8. In chapters 1 and 2, we have the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem who are waiting for him there. There's only 120 in the upper room. How crazy is that? 120. After, after over 500 had seen alive, there's only 120 worshipers in Jerusalem. How tragic to walk away from God when you know the truth. Verse chapters 3 through 7 is their witness in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 is when they end up in Judea. Does anybody remember what happens in chapter 8? Saul. The story of Saul. Stephen is is stoned to death in 6 and 7, and then Saul comes to Jesus in 8 and 9 They run for their lives, and they end up in Judea, and they end up in Samaria in chapters 8 through 12. And then guess what? God uses this guy named Saul Paul to take the message to the end of the world. And uh, actually, it doesn't doesn't record what most of the apostles did, but many of the others went across the globe as well. Thomas went to India. I mean, I'll I'll get into it. We know from extra biblical evidence where the rest of the apostles went, but they then go throughout the world spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is funny. So you have this whole conversation. Remember, they're still talking with Jesus. They ask Jesus, all right, what's going to happen? Don't worry about it. I want you to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to send you a gift. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Then you're going to end up out of Jerusalem into Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Uh, And then then this happens. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking in verse 6. This is, I'm, I'm going back so you can see the context. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after saying this, he was taken up up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. So they all went to Jerusalem. No. That's what he told them to do. But it tells us that they strained to see him rising into heaven. So it infers that they stood there. For those of you who want to know what the disciples thought about the return of Christ, they thought it was imminent. They thought he was going up and coming right back down. Their behavior tells us that. So they're standing there, and because God knows that they're going to stand there forever, immediately two robed men suddenly stands among them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Fair question. Hey, fellas and ladies, what are you doing? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he'll return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. In other words, shoo, stop waiting. Go to Jerusalem. There's work to be done. Next Sunday, I'm going to take some time and talk about this because I think a lot of us are doing the same thing. A lot of us are scared, and, and, and look, I'm, I'm not mad at you. I'm not disappointed in you. I think it's normal. Look, the disciples were scared, and so the answer was save us. Save us now. There's a lot of you who are afraid of what the mark of the beast is, and you're afraid of somebody making it secret and then finding out after you've taken a chip. That's not going to happen. Everybody's going to know what that mark means. We're going to know. And if we happen to go through it, and forgive me if you're a pre-trib rapturist, I've been there too, but if we end up in the tribulation and they're giving out marks of the beast, I'll tell you what's the mark of the beast. Don't worry about it. The elders will. It's not going to be secretive. That's not how our father works, okay? But these guys were doing exactly what many of us are doing today. We need to learn about prophecy. Let's study Daniel or Revelation so we can get all the secret knowledge. There is no secret knowledge It is what it is. And there's a lot we don't know. And if you want to know Jesus' opinion on us having all the secrets figured out, listen to what he said to the disciples. It's not for you to know. And there are men and women making hundreds of millions of dollars a year trying to get you to believe that they know the secrets that God said are none of your business. Get back to Jerusalem. Go serve. Don't just stand there and look up into heaven. Get back to work, there's work to be done. Well, if I don't obsess over it, I'll miss it. Not if you're his child. You're not going to miss it. God knows the beginning from the end. He knew not only what his followers' needs were, but the world's needs and what was coming. And he had chosen not to tell the disciples the calendar and roadmap of what was coming for them on this planet. He simply told them their task and how he would provide for them to accomplish this. And so it is with us. God knows the beginning from the end. He knows not only your needs and fears, but what the world's needs are and what is coming. He already knows who's going to win the election and what that means for our country. He already knows what next year will hold whoever's in the White House. He knows that. And yet he has not told us to lose sleep over it. He has told us to continue being witnesses to everyone around us. He will provide for us the strength, security, and power we need to accomplish the task that He set before us. Only God could have made up this scenario that we're going to study in the book of Acts at such a time as this in history. Only God could have done that. Because this is a perfect time to study what do you do when you've lost your answer man. Because that's where they were. And my encouragement to you is go be witnesses. Stop looking at the news or the sky or studying self-proclaimed prophets for a deeper truth. Get back to witnessing. You are, after all, the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, while the world is looking for answers, you are the answer woman. You're the answer man. People will come up to you and ask you to pray for them, not because you're a member of Carpenter's Way Baptist, but because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and people go to temples to pray when they're desperate. That's what we do. We just have have to have the courage to do what we're supposed to do, and that is stop in the middle of Walmart and pray for somebody. Stay six feet from them, put your hand on their shoulder, and pray for them. God will wrap this up when God, our daddy, is good and ready. Until then, we have not been released from our charge to make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Trinity, teach them to make disciples who make disciples, who baptize them in the name of the Trinity, and to make disciples who also make disciples, who baptize in the name of the Trinity, who make more disciples. That is our calling. That is our task. And no matter what is going on around us, whether we're illegals in this country or whether we are famously and adored, we are to stay on task. This is what God wanted from these men and women after he left no matter what was about to happen in Jerusalem the next 40 years. And remember, within 40 years, the city would be ransacked. Even the temple itself would be overthrown. And not, it says that not one stone would be on top of another. And we can go back today and see where the temple was. And it's been destroyed, just like Jesus said it would. Jesus didn't say, I want you to protect the temple. He didn't say, I want you to protect Judaism. He didn't say, I want you to protect the Jewish nation. He didn't say, I want you to make moral people. He told them to witness to the truth, and He would take care of the rest. God told them to go to Jerusalem. He told you to raise your kids. Next week, we're going to take a week, and I'm going to do something that I've done before, but we're going to review what is the call of the Christian. What is it we're supposed to do? And we're going to look back at history when God called His people to do something ridiculous in exceedingly difficult times. Nothing I say next next week to you will be new, but everything I say will be right, biblical, and a challenge for us to get back to work. Because virus or no virus, it's time for us to witness to the lost. Let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, that your word is relevant. And I thank you that you have recorded for us or had others record for us history, difficult times, so that when we are in difficult times, we can know that you have been faithful in the past and you will be faithful in the future. Within this book, we'll see some of our brothers and sisters uh, sacrificed. They will be martyred. Others will see a, a great awakening, spiritual awakening among people. But all of them will be used by God for his purposes. And so as we embark on this study together, it is my prayer, Father, that we would be faithful to your word within its context and our lives would be changed because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So it is a quarter till. Wow. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You're supposed to text me and say you could have preached for another half hour and I would have loved every minute of it. (laughs) I love you guys. Thanks for coming home. Uh, Some Bible studies I know are happening some are not, but God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.